All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let's begin. Today's daf is Tzadik Aleph. We are actually going to begin on daf Tzadik Aleph. We'll say we, uh, we dedicate our learning today as a zechus for a fuashlim for Chana Peril Bas Rochel. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, should have a complete and enduring refuah. So we, we are picking up again today on Daft Tzadik Aleph. So we left off, we actually have a lot to still, even though we, we left off at Leba Pachos. It's uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 lines down from the top on 91A, Tzadik Aleph. Says the Gemara, at Leba Pachos, you didn't come So So let's remember going back to yesterday's daf. We were trying to still understand the machlokes in Rabbi Kiva and Bananas about what they're arguing about. So the Gemara says, rather, rather they are arguing in the case of ultimately, again, where there is less than a dinar left in the estate. And the shayla is, the shayla is, can you go ahead and divide up the estate if there's pachos midinar or not? Meaning, I will say, remember, if, if after you go ahead and, if after you go ahead and you pay out the ksuvas, if there's less than a dinar left, so the shayla is, can you still go ahead and pay out the ksuvas or not? Marsavar, dinar in, pachos midinar low. So one opinion says, Rabbi Osai, that it's only if there's a dinar left in the, in the estate after the distribution of the ksuvas that you can go ahead and do ksuva distribution. But if there's less than a dinar, you cannot. Remember, when we, say that, when we say you cannot, so what would that effectively mean? If you cannot go ahead and distribute the respective ksuvas to the respective children, then remember, again, everything becomes part of the estate. And in that case, again, everything is split equally among the heirs. Umar And the other opinion holds that, no, that even if there's less than a dinar left in the estate after the distribution of the ksuvas, still halachalamais, you could do the ksuva distribution. I Rabbi Shimon, dinar ka'amar. But Rabbi Shimon is one who said that there has to be a dinar. So maybe you'll say, I switch the shitas of Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanon. I'm sorry, I said, I said, I said bananas and Rabbi Kiva before. That was incorrect. I meant Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanon. This is the machlokas. Well, you can't switch it around because it seems to be that even the Tanakam of the Mishnah requires that in order to, in order to disperse ksuvos from the estate, there must be a leftover <coughs> dinar. Ela ki hanach tre lishne kamoi ve'efoch. Rather, says the Gemara, it must be that in order to understand the machlok sibshim the rabbanon, that you must use one of the earlier two possibilities that we spoke about. Rashi says over here, Ela ki hani tre lishne kamoi. Centered around one of two situations. Either whether or not everyone will agree that you need a dinar left in the estate in order to distribute the ksubas, in order to distribute the ksubas, but whether or not does that dinar have to be of karka, could it even be metaltalin? Or the other possibility is or If there is a dinar left, but that dinar is encumbered to someone else's debt, so again, is that considered to be a proper mosa or not? But ultimately, again, you will still switch around the shitas. What is the bottom line? But remember how this all started. This, oh, this whole mess started yesterday with a discussion, remember, in our Mishnah, of where you have husband married wife number one, she predeceased him. He marries wife number two, he predeceases her. Children of the first wife want their mother's ksuva, ksuva has been indifferent. Children of the second wife want their mother's ksuva, so the difference is children of the first wife come, alts yirusha. Children of the second wife come, alts creditors. So the shayla was, is there, do the first children, are, are they entitled to ksuva has been or not? 
Or do we say Ksuras ben Adirchan only applies when everyone's coming with the same nature of claim? So now the Gemara says, Marzuch says in the Papa, the halacha is that even if one wife died during his lifetime and the second and he predeceased the second one, the children of the first wife still have a claim of Ksuvas ben Adirchan. That's number one. Number two, uksla, that's that's the Gemara's passing. Ksuva naasis most of the chaverta. And I'll say number two is that remember again, even if all you have in the estate ultimately is enough money for two ksuvas, you can distribute the first one because this, the amount of the second ksuva will still consider it to be the most or be the leftover amount in the estate that will allow for ksuva distribution. So bishlama, iyashmo inan achas b'chayeva achas b'mosal, yeshlan ksuvas b'ndichon. I will say now what the Gemara is going to ask is essentially, why do I need both of these rulings? So says the Gemara, so if the Gemara would have just told me that in a case where wife number one predeceases him and he predeceases wife number two, that children of the first wife still get their ksuvas b'nindichrin, and the Gemara would not have told me the halacha, that ksuva could count as the most as the additional amount in the estate, I would have said, if there is a leftover dinar beyond the ksuvas, then you could distribute the ksuvas. Ilo, lo. If not, not. And therefore, again, I understand why the Gemara has to include the statement that a ksuva could count as the mosar in the estate. Rather, but the Gemara could have just said that the ksuva can count as the most as the leftover amount for the other ksuva and kerlak ksuva distribution. And I would have known from that, or I will say de facto that what? That Lamaisa, that there's ksuvas bin even in this case of where wife number one predeceases husband, and husband predeceases wife number two, the fact that you say that a ksuva, that one ksuva could count as the most, as the leftover amount in the estate for the other, by definition, is referring to the case of the Mishnah, which is where he was married to wife number one, she predeceased him, and then ultimately he's married to wife number two, and he predeceased her. So meaning all that you needed to do is teach me that one ksuva could be moser for the other, and I would have learned that in that case of the two wives, wife number one predeceasing him, him predeceasing wife number one, that children of wife number one are entitled to collect ksuvas benindichren. So the Gemara says, Iyashmu inan hachi, the Gemara says, well, if it would have just said that, meaning if it would have just stated the halacha, that... If we would have just stated the halacha that that one ksuva could go ahead and count as the moser for the other, hava amina could go and listen to the sabosa. I would have thought like this. I would have thought. Um, I'm sorry. I would have thought kigon shenasa shalosh nashin. I would have thought that perhaps it's like a case of where he married three women. Umesu shtayim bechayev va'achas v'mosam. Two of them died. Two of them predeceased him. And one of them, he died before. One of them, and the last wife, he died before the last wife. Now again, I will say, subsequently, after he died, wife number three died as well. And the wife that died after his death, Yoledes Nekevahi, had given birth to a girl. Right? So the first two wives had boys. The third wife had a girl. And I will say, in that kind of case, I would have said that wife, the children of wife number one and children of wife number two are entitled to ksuvas b'nindichrin. Why? Because they're both on the same playing field. And let me say again, the child born to wife number three 
doesn't really factor into this discussion at all. Why? Because it's a girl. And ultimately, where there are sons, so sons will take the Yerusha over a daughter. But again, in a situation where one wife predeceased him and he predeceased the other. And the one who ultimately survived him gave birth to a boy. I might have thought that again we have to be Hoshesh for fighting. And therefore, Abbas and now who is the fighting between? Remember, the fighting is between the son of wife number one and the son of wife number two. Because Lamaisa, remember again, they both want to claim their mother's Ksuba. They also both want to claim Yerusha. The problem is that their claims are not the same. Wife, children of wife number one are coming out to Yerusha. Children of wife number two are coming out being creditors. I might have thought that in such a situation, therefore, there is no Ksuvas Pirindichrin to the children of the first wife. Therefore, Kamashlam, that is not the case. Kamashon Rabosei, what comes out is that based on this sugya, or based on what the Gemara is saying over here, is that, again, in this situation of the Mishnah, where wife number one dies before him, and he dies before wife number two, then Halach Lamaisa, children of wife number one, still aren't held to the Ksuva Spinendichrin. That's number one. Number two is that Halach Lamaisa Ksuva can count as the most, or can count as the additional amounts in the estate to allow for a previous Ksuva distribution. Number three is that Halach Lamaisa, there has to be a dinar, right? There has to be at least a dinar left in the estate. And, but Lamaisa, again, it appears that that dinar need not to be of Karka. That dinar could even be of Metaltalin. Okay, says the Mishnah. That's another interesting case. Someone was married to two women and they died. And then he died. And then he died. So well, so this is a simpler case. So both wives are predeceasing him. Okay, then he dies. Now, now in this case over here, so the, the Yarshim, the inheritors, the, now remember, there, there, are two, there are two parts to the inheritance piece over here. There is inheriting their mother's ksuva. And then after the mother's ksuvas are paid out, then they will divide up the estate of their father. So in this case, they both want their mother's ksuva. We'll say only one problem. So just for argument's sake, let's say ksuva of wife number one is a thousand zuz. Ksuva of wife number two is two thousand zuz. Okay, so throw three thousand zuz in ksuva obligations. And let's say there is only three thousand zuz in the estate. That's all there is. There's only three thousand zuz in the estate. So what's the halacha? Cholkin they divide up the estate equally. Now, this is not a surprise to us. Why? Because this is what we've been learning this entire time. In order to go ahead and pay out ksuvos, pay out ksuvos, what does there have to be? There has to be at least a dinar left in the estate after the ksuva distributions. But if there's not a dinar left in the estate, then lemaisa, again, it's not going to work. So in this case over here, if the value of wife's number one ksuva is 2,000, value of wife's number two ksuva is 1,000, and let's say there's a total of 3,000 zuz in the estate, in that case, we do not do ksuva distributions. Instead of, I'll say, what happens? What happens? So ultimately, Ella, excuse me, Ella, shtei ksuvos, I'm sorry, cholkin b'shava. We'll say, what'll end up happening in such a case like that is, Simply, there's no ksuba distributions. All there is is regular basic inheritance, Yerusha, and the children of wives number one and two will go ahead and divide up the Yerusha equally. Okay. Haya shamos dinar. But again, remember, if there is a leftover dinar in the estate, then elu notlin ksuvas iman. Be'elu notlin ksuvas iman. So we'll say if there is a leftover dinar in the estate, then children of wife number one get their mother's ksuva. Children of wife number two get their mother's ksuva. And whatever's left over in the estate, they split. They, excuse me. Eilu notling ksuva simon. Eilu notling ksuva simon. Im amru yusam. Supposed to listen to this. 
אם אמרו יסומם, אנחנו מעלים על נכסי אבינו יפת דינר, כדי שיתלו כסובס אימן. אבל בואו נשמע את הקייס. אז תזכרו, Wife number one, her ksuvah is 2,000 zuz. Wife number two is 1,000 zuz. So if you are the children of wife number one, you do not want all of the Yerusha being split equally because you will not get as much. You really want your mother's ksuvah. Here's the problem. Let's say there's only 3,000 zuz in the estate. So now you're going to get a piece of land. You're going to get it. So, let, so now you're going to get a piece of land that's worth X. So you still have a great idea. You know what? We will go ahead and we will accept upon ourselves a valuation of our father's property my father's property, that is worth a dinar more than it actually is. Meaning, let's say for argument's sake, there is a piece of property that's worth 2,000 zos. So the Yisomim say, you know what? As far as we're concerned, the value of that property for us is 2,001 zos. 2,001 zos. Now, what's the half of that? Now, I, but they're going to get a piece of property worth, so, but, so, but they're getting that piece of property. That's fine. We owe the estate a dinar. How convenient. Because now once they go out and they pay back the estate a dinar, what happens? What happens? Now there is a Mosar dinar in the estate, which now effectively allows for each set of children to go ahead and collect their mother's ksuba. So they are inflating the value of the property in order to create the situation where there is a Mosar dinar left in the estate to allow them to collect their mother's ksuba. It's a great chap. So the Gemara says, but only one problem, it doesn't work. In Shomin Lohem. We don't do that. We don't do that. Meaning we don't inflate va- property values. Rather, we go ahead and we allow for a proper valuation of the estate. Bazin takes care of that. And if it turns out that there's not a Mosardina left in the estate above and beyond the value of the Ksuvas, then the Maisa, all the children just simply share in the estate equally. Let's say again, let's say now the estate is owed money. Now, actually, what Rashi points out, if you look at Rashi, in this case over here, let's say the father that died, we'll call him Reuven, right? So Reuven, so remember our case over here is Reuven married Rachel, then he married Leah. Rachel's ksuva is 2,000, Leah's ksuva is 1,000. In this case over here, there's only 3,000 zuz, however, in the estate. So if there's exactly the amount of money in the estate to satisfy the ksuvas, then what's the halacha? We do not pay out the ksuvas. Instead, again, the children share in the estate equally. If there was 3,001 dinar, then we'd pay out the ksuvas, and then we'd go ahead and have them share in the rest of the estate equally. So now what's interesting is the following. Let's say Ruben's father, Yaakov, though, is still alive. So Ruben Nebuch predeceased his father. So now what happens? And here's what's going to be, I will say, that when, when Yaakov dies, who's going to inherit Yaakov? So the truth is, his, his son's estate, his grandsons are going to inherit Yaakov. Because remember, let's assume for a moment that Yaakov, that, ya- that Ruben was an only child. So Ruben's dead. So now again, the only other living relatives are Yaakov's grandchildren. So, he, so the Gemara says, well, let's say the children, specifically the children of Rachel, want to say, look, our father's estate is entitled to money. One day Yaakov is going to die, and our father's estate is going to receive all of that money. So it's as if really we have more than 3,000 zuz in the estate. So we should be entitled to collect our mother's ksuva. So the Gemara says it doesn't work. It doesn't work. When looking at the amount of money that an estate has, we look at the actual amount that it possesses and not the amount that it's potentially entitled to. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, 
אפילו יש שם נכסים שאין להן אחראיס, אין להן כלום, עד שיהיו שם נכסים שיש להן אחראיס, יסר על שתי אקסובס דינר. That case is easy. Why do I say? Because how, how do we judge entitlements? We judge entitlements at the moment that the mothers died. So we look at the value of the estate at the moment that the mothers died and child, children became entitled to inherit their mothers. As long as there was requisite value in the estate at that point in time, even if the value drops subsequently, we still allow the children to collect their mother's ksuvas because at the time that entitlement was created, there was enough money in the estate. I'm sorry? <coughs> oh, the mothers died and then the father died as well. At the time of this is talking about, no, this is talking about here. You can see Rashi. Rashi says, This is at the mother's death. 
at the mother's death already, again, the value of the estate was enough that each child should be able to get their mother's ksuba. So the Gemara says the following. Thank you for clarifying that. So the Gemara says, however, mu'atin minisrabumai. Well, so what about the reverse case? What about the reverse case? Let's say again, at the time, at the time of death, the estate was worth 3,000 zos. And I will say, if the estate is worth 3,000 zos, then what? Then the Maisa, there's no ksuva payout. All there is will be his regular Yerusha. But then what happens? The estate, the estate appreciates. And now it's worth 3,100 zos. So what's the halacha? Toshma, the nichse, the beibar, tzirtzur, muatin, minisrabu, havum. There was an episode like this. The property of, of, the, of the house of Bartzirtzur, the property of Bartzirtzur, so Mu'atin were, were, were small. I'm not Mu'atin, not small. Um, were, I'm sorry? Meager. Meager, good, meager. So, right, meaning he just, he had a small estate. So, meaning for our purposes, what that means is there was no amount above the, the value, the, the, the total of the Ksuvas. He didn't have any additional value in the estate. But then they appreciated. So what happened? So some of the children came before Rav Amram. Amr Luhu. So we'll say, remember, so it's interesting. Who came before Rav Amram in this particular case over here? So the children of the woman who had the smaller ksuva came before Rav Amram. Because we'll say, remember, if you have two sets of kids, one whose mother had a large ksuva, one whose mother had a small ksuva, if you are the children of the small ksuva mother, it is in your best interest that there is not that there will not be a ksuva distribution, because if all the assets are pooled, you will end up getting more than if you just get your mother's ksuva and then have to split the rest of the estate. So what happens in this case over here? There was meager assets. Then the estate appreciated afterwards. The children of the mother with the small ksuva came to Rav Hamram and they said, Rav Hamram, what should we do? So what did Rav Hamram say? Zilpai sinu you should go make nice to your half-brothers. Meaning, go make nice to the sons of the woman with a large ksuva. Perhaps they will agree not to withdraw their mother's ksuva from the estate. And instead, they'll just go ahead and split everything equally. Lo ashkechu. Zilpai sinu. I'm sorry. Amr luhu. Zilpai sinu. Lo ashkechu. Amr luhu. Ilo mafasasu luhu. Machilu luhu. Besilu dulo mava damo. So Rav Amram said, so they bet, and, and again, make nice to them. Hopefully they'll receive your overtures. But if they do not go ahead and receive your overtures, literally, I will whip them. Look at Rashi. Silu dulo mava damo. Kod shinomoti dam benokvo. Bebasar. Klonor shamta venidoi. So if Aram said, if they do not go ahead and accept your overtures and do not make nice, literally, I will, I will whip them with a thorn that does not draw blood, which is another way of saying I will excommunicate them. Okay. So if Amram seemed to feel that in a case like this, Lemaisa, really what he seems to be saying is, they, the children of the, large, of the mother with large ksuva actually do have a claim to the ksuva, but you should try to appease them. And if you don't appease them, for some reason, Amram said that I'll force them to play nicely with you. So the Gemara says, okay, Shadrin al-Kamid Rav Nachman. Then they came before Rav Nachman. Amr Laham, Rav Nachman said, I don't know what Rav Nachman is talking about. Kishim Shemerubin Vinisma'atu Zachu. Ka Zachu Ben Yarshin. Kach Mu'atin Vinisrabu Zachu Bahen Yarshin. I will say, again, so Rav, Rav Nachman says the halacha is pretty straightforward. In the same way that if the estate was worth 3,100, which would have allowed for ksuba distribution, and then the, the estate depreciates. That we look at the estate, we look at the value of the estate at the time, at the time that death occurred, at the, I should say differently, at the time that it became collectible, at the time the, the ksuvas became collectible, and we lock in that amount. And as long as there's sufficient value in the estate, we allow for ksuva distribution. Same halacha is the other way as well. 
kach, excuse me, kach mu'atim minisrabu. So too, again, if the, if the assets of the estate were few, even if they appreciated, zachu bahen yarshin. At that point in time, Rashi says, zachu bahen yarshin ksuba kitana lachlok akol b'shava, hol b'shas misa v'ahadu b'hu moser. So we'll say, remember, or Nachman just simply says, the halacha is the halacha is the halacha, which is, that we go ahead and we look at the value of the estate based on the moment that the ksuvas became collectible. And that goes both ways. So if there was 3,100 in, uh, uh, 3, in the estate at the time that the ksuvas became collectible, even if the property subsequently depreciated, we allow each child to collect their mother's ksuva. Similarly, if there was only 3,000 in the estate at the time that the ksuvas became collectible, and even if it appreciates, we still do not allow the children to collect their mother's ksuvas. Rather, again, we pool all of the assets, all of the resources, and everything is, everything is shared equally. Hohu gavra, hohu gavra, dahavu maski bay alpha zuzi. So it's another, very, another very interesting case. So there was a particular individual who borrowed a thousand zuz. Okay, Havule Tre Apadni. He had two mansions. He had two mansions also. So what did he do? Zavinu Chada Bechamei See, so both mansions, one for five hundred zuz, and another for another five hundred zuz. Now both say now again. Just, we'll see this later on, but it seems to be that the, the point over here is he sold them to the same person. So two different sales, both to the same purchaser. So two mansions, one for 500 zos, one for 500 zos. Asabacho, <laughs> now it's time, we'll call, we'll call him Ruvain. So Ruvain barred a thousand, Ruvain barred a thousand zos, and now it's time for repayment, but of course Ruvain doesn't have money, doesn't have money. So what does the Bachov do? Asabachov, tarfa l'chadminai. So we'll say the Bachov comes along, and what does the Bachov do? The Balchov seizes one of the mansions. He seizes one of the mansions. I will say, remember, in order for this case to make sense, we have to assume that what? That Lemaisa, again, in this particular circumstance, so the sale of the mansions took place after, after the loan, which means that, technically speaking, the loan, the mansions were encumbered by the loan. So therefore, again, when Ruben doesn't have the money to repay, so the creditor goes and wants to seize one of the mansions. Asa Balchov, Tarfa Hadrik, so he, saw, he, he seized one of the mansions. Fine. Then what does he want to do? He wants to seize the other mansion. Why does he want to seize the other mansion of Osai? Because remember, again, the total debt is a thousand zuz. So now he wants to go ahead and seize the second mansion in satisfaction of the second 500 of the debt. So what happened? So, Ahadr Katarif Le'idach. Shakal Alpha Zuzi. Vika'azulagabe. So Osai, the guy who purchased the mansions comes over to the creditor with a thousand zuz in his hand. And he says like this, Amrlei. If you're willing to accept upon yourself that the value of the mansion that you seized is a thousand zuz, then we're all good here. Meaning, if you want to accept that the value of the, of the mansion you seized is a thousand zuz, which means that now your debt is satisfied with the seizure of the first mansion, then let's call it even. And if not, I want to give you a thousand zuz and please go away. Please go. I mean, give me back the mansion that I bought, and please accept this in payment of your debt. Okay. So Rami Bar wanted to say, this is the same case as our Mishnah. And I was saying, what does it mean the same case as the Mishnah? 
And we'll say, why is it the same case in the Mishnah? Because what was the case in the Mishnah? Remember, the case in the Mishnah is where you have the children of the mother with the large ksuva, and they say what? They say, we would like, very much like to be able to collect our mother's ksuva. There's only one problem. There's not a Mosar diner. There's not an additional diner in the estates. Remember, what do they decide to do? They say, you know what? We will, we will um, what's the word? Um, inflate. We will inflate the value of our father's field to make it an extra diner. And yet the Mishnah said that that did not work. And yet here, what's happening over here, Abosai? The guy who purchased the, the mansions is essentially telling the creditor, if you accept the, an, essentially an overinflated value of the mansion, if you accept the 500 Zuz mansion as being worth 1,000 Zuz, then we'll call it even. If not, I'm giving you 1,000 Zuz, and please go away. Amrli Rava, Midam, you can't compare the cases. Hasam Islahup Sidaliasmi. In the case of the Mishnah, where the children of the mother with the large ksuva are trying to overinflate the value of the estate, I will say that overinflation is going to result in a loss to the Yisomim. Why does it, now which Yisomim? It's going to result in a loss to the children of the mother of the smaller ksuva. Bless you, because I bless you. Because again, remember, if they pay out the ksuvas, then the children of the mother with the lower ksuva is going to get less. But if there's no ksuva payout, then lemaisa again, everyone shares equally in the estate. So the Mishnah is teaching me you can't over, you can't artificially inflate property values when that's going to create a loss for someone. Hacha mi isleipseda, but over here on both sides, there doesn't really have to be a loss, right? In this case over here with the mansions, there's no loss. Why? Alpha yohev. Because of us, remember, again, the guy who bought the mansions is offering the creditor a very sweet deal. Either if you love the mansion, you bought so much that you're willing to accept it as being worth a thousand, so it's great. If not, what is the purchaser of the mansions willing to do for the creditor? He's willing to give him a thousand, so So there's absolutely no loss over here involved for the creditor. So the Gemara says, Now, remember, let's play this out. Remember how this whole thing works. Ruvain, the borrower, so Ruvain borrowed a thousand zuz, and afterwards he sold his two mansions to a column to buyer. We'll just call him buyer. To call buyer. So remember, I was saying at this point in time, buyer wants to hold on to his mansions. So what did he just do? He just went ahead and he paid off. He paid off Ruvain's creditor. And I was saying, now what happens after he paid? What's going what's to be his next stop after he pays off Ruvain's creditor? He's going to Ruvain, right? So now the interesting Shaila is. How much of a claim does he have against Ruvain? Now, let's play this out. I mean, let's say, let's say the creditor agreed to accept the first mansion as, pulf, as full payment for the debt. So the creditor agreed to accept the value of the mansion at 1,000 zuz. So now, so now the buyer is coming back to Ruvain to get compensated for the money he had to pay to Ruvain's creditor. How much money does he have the right to claim? On one hand, the valuation of the, of the mansion is now what? Is now 1,000 zuz. But at the end of the day, his out-of-pocket expense was in fact what? 500 was because that's what he bought the mansion for. So the Tirfa, I will say, so Tirfa refers to the document, refers to the process, where now the buyer is coming back to the seller. In this case, the seller is Ruvain, the borrower. Buyer is coming back to the seller to go ahead and be made whole for that which happened with the seller's creditor. I know there's a lot of stuff going on over here. The Tirfa become a casino. So how much, how much is the buyer of the mansions permitted to recapture from, Ru, from Ruvain, the seller slash borrower? So that Ravina Amr Alpha, Ravina said a thousand. 
a thousand because now since the, the creditor accepted the value of the mansion at a thousand, therefore again, therefore again, buyer can actually go back to Reuven and claim a thousand. Ravavira Amar No, Ravira says no, no, no. The most he could go after Reuven for is what is the actual amount that he lost. How much did he lose? Five hundred zos. The halachas and the halacha is bechameshmiyar. Rabbi says so. The halacha actually is that in this kind of case where the buyer paid off the creditor of Reuven. By allowing him to keep the mansion that buyer bought from Ruvain, the buyer's buyer's claim is capped at the amount of his out-of-pocket expense, which is 500 zuz. Next case. So the Vilchasabakamish is how Gavra Tamaski be mea zuze. Both instances was a man who borrowed 100 zuz. Havule tre katini da'ara. He had two small pieces of land. So again, remember, we'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain borrowed 100 zuz, and Ruvain has two small parcels of land. He sold off parcel A, sold off parcel A for 50 zuz, and parcel B for 50 zuz. So remember again, the same Ruvain, the same Ruvain, who sold off the property. So now again, his Balchov comes to collect 100 zuz. Ruvain doesn't have the 100 zuz. So where does Balchov go to? Balchov goes to the people who bought the properties from Ruvain. So the Balchov seized one of the pieces of property, 50 zuz. In satisfaction of the debt, and ultimately now he wants to seize a second piece of property to satisfy the remaining 50 zuz. So now again, remember the same case as before. You have one guy who bought both properties. So the purchaser of the land went to Ruvain's creditor with 100 zuz and made the following offer. If the piece of property that you seized is, is, is for you is, is valued at 100 zuz, then good, we'll call it even. But if not, then let me pay you 100 zuz and please go away. Give me back the piece of land you seized and go away. Yosef wanted to say, is this not the same same same, same conversation we just had? Is this not the same? Is this not the same case as the Mishnah where the Yisumim tried to overinflate the value of the property? And the Mishnah says they can't do it. Amrli Abai Abai said, no, 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 me dummy, you can't compare the cases. Hasam is lupsidiliasmi. In the case of the Mishnah, the overinflation of the property represents a loss or a potential loss to the Yisumim. In this case, Yisumim being who? The children of the mother with the smaller ksuva. Haha, my psides. But I'm saying in this case over here, there's no real loss. Excuse me. Haha, my psides. Mea yohiv. Excuse me. Mea yohiv. Mea shakil. The lender lent 100 and he's going to get back 100. Vitirfa bekama. So I'll say if this indeed works. And the buyer of the two pieces of land essentially pays off the creditor to go ahead and go away. And the creditor, let's say, accepts one field and he accepts it at the value of 100 zuz. So how much does the buyer have the ability to go after Ruvain for? So Ravina Amar Ravina says, we look at the value of the field. And says, now the value of the field is 100. Therefore, Ruvain has the ability to go after, excuse me, therefore, the buyer has the ability to go after Ruvain for 100. So Rav Avya Amar Rav Avya says, no, 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 we look at it as out of Pocket expense, his out-of-pocket expense was fifty zuz and therefore the halacha is that he's only permitted to recap to, to recapture fifty zuz. Next case, listen to this. Was an individual who borrowed a hundred zuz shachiv. And then he died. He went ahead and all he left behind was a piece of a piece of land that was worth fifty zuz. 
Supposed to listen to this. So again, we'll call him Ruvain. So Ruvain borrowed a hundred zuz, then he died. All he left behind in his estate was a piece of land worth a hundred, worth fifty zuz. So Balchov, right, the creditor shows up, says, I want my money, tells you so I want my money. So what does he do? He seizes the piece of property for fifty zuz. Okay. Azal Yasmi, Yavule So what happens? The Yasoim come along, they give the creditor fifty zuz, almost like in an effort to redeem their father's land. So they pay him back fifty zuz. So so the so the creditor says thank you very much, gives him back the land, and then what? Vahadr Katariflahu. Vahadr Katarifla. What does the creditor do? Right after he gets the fifty zuz and he gives the land back to the Yasum, what does he do again? He seizes the land again. Frank, thank you very much. You only paid me off fifty zuz. Now I'm coming, I'm collecting this land again to get my other fifty zuz. He's owed a hundred. So also the Kamidabaye, so so the Yasum come to Abaye, they say, What do we do over here? Amalahen, Mitzvah Yasum Lifrochovavian. So Abai said, Look, there is a mitzvah on the orphans to go ahead and to pay off their father's debt. To pay off their father's debt, Hani Kamoi Mitzvah Avdisu Hashtok Yitarif Bedin Katarif. So we'll say so again. Remember, so the so Abaye says that look Lemaisa again when they paid off the first fifty when they paid off the first fifty. So that was the Yisumim doing a mitzvah of paying off their father's debt. But now, ultimately, when the creditor comes along and seizes the property again for the second 50, that's appropriate. So we'll say what the Gemara is suggesting over here is that in general, Yusumim orphans have an obligation to settle the debts of the estate. So therefore, when the Yusumim paid off the first 50, that was appropriate action. But then when the Lokech seizes the property, to, excuse me, when the creditor seizes the property to satisfy the second 50, that's within his right as well. So the Gemara says, below Amran, we only say this, this is very interesting. But when do we say, when do we say that the creditor has the right to go ahead and repossess the land? Because this is a very interesting case. Remember, one more time. In this case over here, Ruven borrowed 100 zuz, then he died. He didn't pay back the debt. All he has in his estate is a piece of land worth 50 zuz. So the malve, so the, the creditor comes along and after the death of Ruvain seizes the property. Yusomim pay the guy 50 zuz. Now they feel they're paying him 50 zuz for what purpose? To take back the land. What the Gemara is saying is that's not really true. What they're doing is they're doing, they're, they're doing something to pay off their father's debts, which is their obligation. And therefore, when the creditor comes back and now seizes the land a second time in satisfaction of the remaining 50 zuz, technically speaking, he is in within his halachic right. The, and that's what Abayi said. He's within his halachic right. Now, all the Gemara does is now qualifies that statement. When do we say that the creditor is within his halachic right to seize that property a second time? So that's only the law Amra. That's only where the orphans did not say the 50s just were giving you this is the value of the small piece of property. But I will say, if the orphans would have said to the creditor, when we're giving you the 50 zuz, we are buying back from you that small piece of land, then what? 
then Saluki Salkua. Then Abosa at that point in time, the rights of the creditor have been removed from the land. Meaning, so if all they do is they give him 50 Zuz, but they don't say anything, even though they think, why are we giving him 50 Zuz to get back our father's land? If they don't articulate that, then all we view that 50 Zuz as is a partial payment of their father's debt. But if they make the explicit statement, we are buying back our father's land and the creditor gives them back the land, then essentially Abosa, what is the creditor doing? What is he really doing? He's releasing his lien on that property. Once he releases his lien on the property, he does not have the right to subsequently re-seize it in satisfaction of the rest of the debt. So let's just go a little bit weiter. So let's say it's interesting case. There was a particular individual who sold the ksuva of his mother for means a very, a very small price. Now, what does that mean? How does a son sell the ksuva of his mother? Essentially, the Gemara is saying over here is that Lamaisa, Technically speaking, he stands in line to go ahead and inherit the ksuva. Look at Rashi. Obviously, what the son is saying is, I have some future rights in this ksuva, so I want to sell my future rights in the ksuva. Okay, so the Gemara says, my boss said, obviously, no one's really going to buy that for a lot of money because there are so many sveikas involved with such a purchase like that. But he sells it for a little bit of, a, a little bit of money. But listen to this. But he said to the purchaser, Right? Excuse me. But the seller, the son says, if my mother comes along and objects, if my mother starts yelling about this, I'm just telling you that I'm not going to help you out. In other words, that what he was saying is, if my mother objects to this sale, then obviously the sale will be voided. In other words, he's selling it without achrayas. He's selling it without responsibility. So I'm selling you my future rights. If my mother objects to this, I'm just telling you that the sale is void. What happens? Shriva ime, the mother died. And she never objected to the fact that her son sold his rights in Riksuva. But what happens? Sinarabo say the son inherits the Ksuva. The purchaser wants to go ahead and what? Get his money. So what happens? Now the son says, No, I object. I'm not giving you my mother's rights in the Ksuva. So Sarabosa, and he's saying, and I told you, I warned you that if anyone objects, the Lamaisa again the sale is void. Sarayim wanted to say this objection is a valid objection. Why is it a valid objection? Because the son essentially now is in the place of the mother. And just like he said, the mother had the right to object. The son has inherited his mother's rights and therefore what? Can object to the sale as well. It is true, the son did not, was not Mechabal Achrayis for what his mother would do, but he certainly what? Was Mechabal Achrayis for what he would do. The son said, if my mother decides to void this transaction, it's voidable. But the son never said that he would have the right to void the transaction. Therefore, Lemaise, if the mother died without objecting, so Lemaise, again, the son does not have the right to void this transaction. And therefore, again, the person who whom he sold his rights to would be the true owner of the mother's rights in the Ksuba. All right, the boss will stop over here. We'll pick up here tomorrow, Mirza Hashem.